I'm not sure that my faith would have survived adolescence without Becky. Becky was my youth minister, and while she could help most of my peers by offering guidance through the typical teenage trials, you know, abstinence from cigarettes and drinking and other temptations that would cause me to pass out long before I ever mustered the nerve to pursue them, uh, my hyper-analytical, perfectionistic, obsessively conscientious spirit presented Becky with a whole different set of challenges. Um, when I was worried that I didn't love Jesus enough because I didn't raise my hands in worship like the kids from the other church, Becky assured me that wasn't true and that ultimately it isn't about my love for Jesus, but Jesus' love for me. When visions of rapture burst in my sight, thanks to the Left Behind series, not the adult version, but the cool, completely non-traumatic one curated especially for kids, Becky spoke blessed assurance to my anxious soul, helping me to rest in the authenticity of my faith and encouraging me to chase big questions under the protection that faith provides. When I got down on myself, when I ruminated on how I wasn't cool enough or big enough or dateable enough, Becky reminded me that I am a child of God, and she affirmed that she saw the beauty and the goodness of my Creator in me. To me, everything the Christian is supposed to be was summed up in Becky. She was a part of my life for as long as I could remember, and as a kid who hadn't seen much of life in his 17 years, I had no reason to think she'd ever be anywhere else. But then Becky got cancer. The really cruel kind of cancer. The kind that starts out small and really far away from any of the important chunks of a person's body. The kind that, after a few rounds of treatment, plays dead and tricks a group of anxious adolescents into thinking their prayers have worked and it's gone away. The kind that returns with ferocity that's faster than any medicine or gamma ray you throw at it and that doesn't care if you're a mom or a spouse or you've got a group of kids for whom you've been the hands and feet and comfort and love of Christ, the kind that takes you anyway. I was a senior in high school when Becky died. Before the cancer got serious, I'm not sure she was even human to me. She was above the stuff that afflicted normal people. She was always good, always right, always there. But as her hair faded and her strength left, I was forced to see Becky was vulnerable, just as vulnerable as me with all of my questions and all of my worries and all of my weakness. And the funny thing is, as heartbreaking as the situation was, I don't think Becky's vulnerability really bothered her. But it sure did wreck me. I needed my pastor to be strong. I needed my pastor to be alive. I needed my pastor to be unbreakable. Because if my pastor could be broken, then that meant I could be too. I'm Paul Burgess, and this is the Naked Preacher Podcast.
honestly, I think that's what bothers a lot of people about pastoral vulnerability. They need their ministers to be above the afflictions of the world because, in a weird way, it allows them to think that maybe they could be above them too. But when pastors get sick, those they serve have no choice. They have to stare at their humanity. They have to see their weakness and hear their questions and endure their cries and the unfairness of their lot. They have to recognize that their pastors are not immune to the brokenness that plagues every human body and soul. And ironically, maybe that's the healthiest thing for them. This week on the podcast, I'm going to be having conversations with two ministers who have been through and are currently in times of sickness while pastoring their congregations. I'm actually splitting it up into two episodes, one I'll share today and the other I'll release midweek. Today's conversation is with a friend of mine, Molly Brummett Waddell, who pastors a church in Durham, North Carolina. Not long after beginning her pastorate, Molly learned that she has lupus, and it has completely reoriented her life. I spoke with Molly about what it's like not only to live with a chronic illness, but to minister while having that vulnerability exposed. All right. Well, I'm grateful to have today uh, not just a guest, but a friend of mine, um, Reverend Molly Brummett Waddell. And uh, she is uh, a friend that I got to know through uh, a fellows program uh, through the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. And she's literally one of my favorite people. She is such a vulnerable leader and, and her ministry, I believe, is is um, all the better because of it. Uh, currently, she is the lead pastor, I guess. Is that your actual title? Yeah. Yep. At, at uh, Emmaus Way in Durham, North Carolina. And uh, so I uh, thank you, Molly, my friend, for being with us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Glad to be here. So you are on an episode about uh, sickness um, because relatively recently in your uh, ministerial journey, you have, have learned that sickness is, is a part of your story, physical, uh, physical sickness, and one that um, will continue to be uh, apparently. So uh, before we get into uh, that and, and your uh, diagnosis of lupus, why don't you describe sort of what life looked like before that? What was ministry like for you? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was, I'm not a huge Enneagram person, but definitely find it to be a helpful tool. So I'm in a three on the Enneagram. So I'm an achiever. I really am um, driven, like success, overwork, <laughs> kind of just go, go, go. Um, and so I think that that was really how I approached my ministry. So I, um, graduated from Divinity School in 2013 and went and served as an associate pastor of a mid to larger size um, progressive Baptist congregation and just was working flat out and going nonstop. And um, yeah, and so that was sort of my approach, right? Of like, I think ministers, this desire to do more and be more and hold it all and handle it all. Um, was somehow internalized in my being, I think, and part of how I'm wired. Um, and so, yeah, it's sort of, I 
growing up, my dad, we had three rules as a household, have fun, work hard, and do your best. And I think pretty early on, I realized that that doing my best was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And so it was this pressure to continue to do my best and do it and to excel. And then, yeah, so that was sort of me and overworked and but loved what I was doing and was kind of burning at both ends um, all the time. Um, yeah, and then we moved, my husband and I moved to Durham for him to begin he wanted to go back to law school, and I became, at that time, co-pastor of Emmaus Way, which is a very different context from my previous church. Um, I went from being full-time to part-time um, and had a month off in between to rest. And during that window, really two months after we moved, I got sick, um, really, really sick, and haven't gotten better. And so it's been a real shift in how I think about success and ministry and living and what constitutes a full life. Yeah, that's um, uh, such a such a hinge pin type of moment in, in your life because you've got the transition not only of ministerial contexts, um, your yeah. husband starting law school, uh, but but also this you know diagnosis, uh, which, um, you know, thank God for therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so how, how did you know that, that something wasn't right? Yeah, I guess it was, I'll never forget. It was October 18th and I, um, had had a full work day. So at Emmaus way, I'm, um, technically 30 hours, um, but had had a pretty full day and got home. And after dinner, it was just like, I couldn't move my body. Like my body just felt like lead and I had a low grade fever and, um, yeah, it felt like the flu, but like a really bad version of it. Um, and that feeling, it just didn't go away. Like it was just present. And so I, um, yeah, I could kind of fake it, (laughs) like work and get through my days. But some days I couldn't. Um, I was too sick. And um, yeah, so it was like I just had this flu and I didn't know why. But my fever wasn't that high. And so it was pretty low grade. Um, So it just didn't make sense. And my hair was falling out and it was just like, I had these like ulcers all in my mouth. I was like, what the heck is going off my body? Um, I'm really stubborn. I don't like the doctor. And so, um, and we were new to the area and being in the Duke health system, it takes a really long time to establish practice. So I called to set up an appointment. They said, we can see you in a month. Um, But three weeks into it, my husband was like, Molly, you have to like go to urgent care. (laughs) Like you aren't getting better. and so I did, and they kind of gave me like prednisone, I don't know, something. And um, But then a week later, I went and saw the other doctor and like a family practitioner, and they ran tons of blood work. And that's when they noticed um, some of my blood markers were off. 
And uh, yeah, so at the end of November, she called and said, I think um, you might have lupus. And so um, I'm going to refer you to a rheumatologist. Um, and that's kind of how it began. And so um, I knew that it was a possibility. My grandmother had lupus and her sister had lupus. Um, and their other sister has um, had uh, multiple sclerosis. So kind of like knew those things. And that I guess my genetics weren't great for um, in some ways. But yeah, I just never thought I was 20, 28, I guess, at the time. Um, and I think, yeah, pretty invincible, right? Like I'm going to be pastor of this great church and had just gotten married. We hadn't even been married a year and healthy. And I was a runner and I was a, like ate well. Um, so it was a real shock that my body just started attacking itself. Um, and so they actually think that I probably I was genetically predisposed, um, but the rheumatologist thinks that I maybe actually had been having, in lupus, they call them flares. So kind of when your body is actively attacking itself. Um, and he thinks what I thought of as just like episodes, um, my thyroid doesn't work and it hasn't worked for a long time, but what I sort of thought of, oh, I'm having a thyroid episode, like starting in college and grad school and um, at my first church, uh, he actually thinks that they were flares, but I was just so stubborn. I was just like fighting through them. And so... Um, I can't imagine you being so stubborn. Uh, right? You. Crazy. Me <laughs> being stubborn. But really, so like really that I could have had, like I probably, lupus might have probably might have been active longer, but it was just like I had pushed my body so hard that it just shut down. Uh, pretty close to shutdown. So that was almost three years ago in October. Yeah. So. All right. So what, what is uh, lupus for those yeah, of us? Yeah. So there did, are, and did you have, I mean, I guess you probably did have an idea of what it was uh, <laughs> since yeah. it was genetically I mean, in your family. I kind of knew. So my grandmother got diagnosed. She was misdiagnosed actually. And they thought she had another disease. And then later on in life, they realized that she had lupus. Um, so I remember that, that her sort of lupus diagnosis was uh, later on in life and more centered around her death. So I think that that sort of was my connection with it. Um, I had heard of lupus before, but I feel like lupus is one of those diseases where people know, it's like they know the name or they've at least heard of it. But it's like, oh, lupus, that's like really bad. You know, but nobody really knows what it is. <laughs> You know, it's sort of like, it's not like cancer or like diabetes or, you know, sort of where we have a better general understanding of um, what it is. So I, in some ways I was in that camp. Um, so I have their kind of, there's discoid lupus, which just affects your skin. There's another type of lupus, uh, lupus nephritis, which um, some people have and it only affects their kidneys. And then I have... Um, systemic lupus so basically my body attacks can attack and does attack any system within it um because my kind of whenever we're sick our bodies are supposed to be able to identify what are good cells right like what are healthy cells that are helping our bodies and what are bad cells that are coming in so viruses things like that um, and my body can't tell the difference. They've lost kind of their memory um, to tell the difference. And so it thinks that it's helping by attacking everything because it just thinks everything is bad. Um, but really, it's not. So I, um, 
yeah, so it can affect your skin. So um, kind of really photosensitive. I can't really be out in the sun, direct sunlight that much. Have to wear hats. And I have a huge head, so it's really hard to find hats. Because um, like literally not metaphorically, but well, maybe sometimes metaphorically. But um, so we, right, so that's a part of it. It affects, um, it can affect your kidneys. So far, it hasn't affect, affected my kidneys. It really affects your joints, um, muscle um, weakness. It affects your endocrine system. So kind of my hair falling out. Um, can't My body can't really hold temperature well. well. You get like ulcers. Um, and so part of it too, lupus, they think, it's like twofold. So it can be stress, like stress can contribute to it. So it's all about like making sure you rest and making sure you eat well and take care of yourself, right? All these things we hear about in divinity school, self-care and lupus really requires it to a different degree. Um, but yeah, so sort of, and like with lupus, there are different kind of like degrees, I suppose, of the disease attacking your body and so different levels of medication to kind of keep your body um, at bay. And so for some people, they can just go on um, like a drug or two and it stays under control. Um, but I, my body, I suppose, is also an Enneagram 3 and an achiever, just like myself, and does a really brilliant job of attacking uh, my different systems. And so I am on some stronger medications um, and some infusions and different things to kind of keep me functioning. Um, and so, yeah, so you have seasons. It's all about trying to keep your body quiet, um, kind of in remission. I'll use language of like in remission um, so that you aren't flaring. Um, I'm currently in a flare. Um, I feel, I think the longest time I've gone not being in a flare uh, has been 10, nine to 10 months um, was this last sort of bout. You'll have like many flares, but, um, but yeah. So anyways, that's kind of the disease. It's really odd. Um, you have to figure it out. Um, but so it's, and it's unpredictable. So I never really know how I'm going to feel um, when I wake up in the morning. It has been more predictable in this past year since I started. I'm now on two immunosuppressant drugs, which are great. So it really keeps my um, immune system quiet. Um, and it's been more predictable. But the irony in being immunosuppressed now, it's like some right when somebody's on chemo or like you sort of, you know, can't just they don't really have an immune system, is you can catch germs pretty you can I'm like a walking petri dish. Um, and so being a pastor, right, whenever the doctor's like, if you could maybe not like um touch people that much or like shake hands or you know give hugs I'm like I'm that's part of my job you know is being around people and being around sick kids and um and so having to figure that out I've become a huge proponent of if you're a child or you are sick I know you love the Lord but please do not come to church um so, so things like that but yeah. Yeah, so that's lupus. It's a chronic illness, so I will always have it unless they find a cure. Um, but lupus, they've only, it's taken them 50 years to find a, one specific drug just for lupus, which I'm on. 
it's kind of like a guessing game of using some drugs used for certain cancers with lupus, some drugs, I'm on one drug that's technically for malaria, but somehow provides lupus relief. Um, it is, the disease is known as the great, um, oh gosh, the great doo -doo -doo -doo, imitator. Mm -hmm. And so it's really can take a long time for a diagnosis. I was lucky that I got one relatively quickly. Um, but, and it can also take a long time to figure out how to treat, how to treat your body, um, and keep your body quiet. Gosh, yeah. it really does sound like the disease for high achievers. <laughs> I mean, in yeah, a lot yeah. of ways. It's like, it is. And it's really a cruel, I don't know if it's cruel, but I, um, but yeah, it kind of, it's like to be such a, to be such a high achiever and to go, 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 go. Um, than to have this disease it's like mm -mm, you don't kind of get the final say I do um, has been really really hard and it's really had to shift how I think about success and what I think constitutes a full life and um, I'm so thankful I'm in the church that I'm in that's really laid back and isn't that churchy right isn't that programmatic um, that I am able to still be a pastor. I really do not think that I could have the way that my body has attacked itself and continues to do so for the past three years. Um, and even just every four weeks, right, I go and I have these infusions and I'm out for basically two days in the middle of the week. I don't know how I could have this disease and be a pastor of a regular mainline congregation, just because I don't think the church is really wired to have ministers that are like long-term Kind of sick long term um and so i think it takes really special congregations and sacred space to figure out what it means to do life with a pastor that's often i look pretty good you know like i can fake i can still fake it well i have really good days um but also recognize like there are days where i just can't get out of bed and i have to cancel an entire day or two or sometimes even a week of meetings and sermons and, you know, prep and things like that and being able to sort of roll with the punches. Um, I think it takes a particular type of people to do that. Yeah. Um, what are the ways that, you know, practically it has um, affected your ministry? Yeah. I think I used to have really great hopes and high achievement. Uh, I, don't, I think as ministers, even whenever, if we, how honest can I be on this podcast? Um, think, well, it's called um, the Naked Preacher Podcast about vulnerability. So go ahead and go for it. I think like in any, I think in any career, um, I am convinced that all preachers, all pastors, we are all a little bit arrogant, right? Or we wouldn't think that we've been called by God, right? Yeah. I mean, like so kind of, there's some of this in all of us. I think mm -hmm. it's, varying layers and I think with that which is normal we're like humans there's this drive to not to constantly think about the next thing but to sort of think about like you know even though I talk about in div school well generally the church that you're called to out of divinity school is not going to be the church that you're going to be you know retire right there's sort of this like stepping like any career kind of this like stepping stone whatever path that you're on and kind of you get to chart in some ways and God, like God's a part of it. Um, and I think 
that, yeah, my arrogance was, um, you know what? I don't think I suck at being a pastor and I am stubborn and there need to be more strong female pastors within Baptist life. And like, I'm going to be one of them. And not that that isn't there anymore, but I think I've realized like, I just, I can't, I can't do that <laughs> and also live a life um, that feels whole and like full and um, with lupus and that I, it's more important for me to serve my scrappy congregation that has welcomed me in full stop lupus and all and lets me be vulnerable and talk about my illness and frustration and like cry sometimes from the stool when I'm preaching or a lot of times I've become a crier since I got sick um, and lets me figure out what it means to be um, Molly who has this illness that shaped so much of my life and be pastor in it. Um, yeah. And so it's sort of this odd thing. I feel like lupus has caused me to sort of get off this track of success that so many, I think, of us feel like we're on, right? No matter what career we're in. And um, yeah, I feel like my world's gotten really small um, since getting sick, but not, and I think initially I fucked up against it because I wanted the world to be expansive and there to be so many choices and options and like, when it came to my career, when it came to what our family, like if James, like if we had kids, like what our family would look like, travel. Um, and I, it's just like, I'm here and I'm in Durham and I'm going to be in Durham for a while because my doctors are here. And every four weeks I have to plan my life around these infusions and my husband has to plan his life around these infusions. And some days I have great days and I celebrate those and, I love months when I have more great days than bad. Um, but yeah, it's not, I don't know. It's just sort of become more insular, um, but a lot fuller. Mm-hmm. Like I, um, I don't think I really knew what joy was until I got sick. Like this like deep, like um, this joy that is not of yourself and it's not of anything you've created or you've made but like from like deep within your being of like that there's joy in living simply because we like wake up and like never, yeah, I'm able to open up my almond milk in the morning without help or I'm able to button my pants, right? I mean like these little things that I at times just can't do. Um, it's pretty remarkable. And I don't think God caused me to get sick. I don't think any of that. Like, I don't think that I caused myself to get sick. I think some people say, oh, well, autoimmune diseases, you like did this to yourself or like, it's like, no, like I was genetically predisposed. There was some environmental factor that triggered it. Did I take care of myself in ways that I probably should have? No, but like, you know, just like sickness happens and we are living in these frail bodies Um, all of us. And it's um, pretty arrogant to think that we aren't. Um, Yeah, but I have never, yeah, have never felt 
closer uh, to the divine since when I got sick, because I think that that's like, I knew that I, I can't fix this. Right. Uh, and I want to so desperately um, still that I can't. And so just having to like dig deeper into other sources. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Man. Um, that was a long I don't even know if that answered your question uh, that was it if it didn't it did way better than an answer to that question could have it was awesome yeah I I hear things like surrender there I hear things like life being more centered to you now Mm -hmm. like from from all these things out there to to being more founded in here um totally a good place to be um yeah and hear me say too if i like if if i could not have lupus i would give this disease back like an instant right Mm -hmm. but i do think uh the lessons that i am learning from being sick um are making me into a better human absolutely yeah Yeah. and a better pastor Yeah. yeah um Awesome. Um, okay, so it sounds like this comes up in in your preaching a lot, like you know your story and and, and all that. Uh, the, yeah. the questions and I, I would have to imagine doubts and things like that that a you know grappling with a disease like this um, brings up. Um, mm-hmm. So you know how does how, how has that gone? How has your congregation respond to that? Yeah, they've been wonderful. Um, I think initially it was sort of whenever we were first kind of getting this diagnosis or, excuse me, what does it look like? Kind of the, the balance of what do you share and when, right? Um, has been a tricky one and I think continues to be so. Um, but I know that whenever I'm like ready to share or kind of think something's important, um, can let the congregation know. Sometimes I do that through um, like the stool kind of in our worship gathering. Um, I've done that for other times. It might just mean like staff knows, right? So sometimes staff is privy to information before other people and we kind of wait and see um, or like our leadership team. And so sort of making those decisions because I think I've realized um, and part of why I started a blog, which I don't really blog that often, but it really stemmed from um, conversations I had with Doris Ann Cooper, who's pastor of Watt Street Baptist, and she had breast cancer and was diagnosed pretty quickly after she got to that congregation. And the balance of, I do find sometimes a blog or Instagram post or using social media in ways to help kind of people who love me and care for me, be it in my congregation or elsewhere, know how I'm doing um, without always having to talk about it directly if I don't want to. Um, But no, I think that there have been different seasons in, uh, in church where it's come up in sermons or in like our invitation to the table. We have Eucharist every week. Yeah, and it hasn't, it's not all the time, but I think the moments that it does come up, they're just poignant. And I'm very thankful that I'm in a congregation where I don't, I think as pastors, and I think somehow the church has set up this 
well, it is a hierarchy, but this like notion, right, that the pastor is separate then, right, and is almost in some ways invincible or um, has to keep up the illusion of, yeah, being more holy or, right, like closer to God or whatever language we want to use with that. And, and it's, um, yeah, almost like the, the pastor, well, people would say, no, 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 our pastor is like very human and, you know, tells really great jokes and is there for us. Like, but there is this sense of needing the pastor to be just a little bit more than okay. Um, I think, and I just can't do that. And so it's sort of like, this is what you have. And some Sundays, like I, it takes all I have to be able to sit on a stool and like lead a dialogue, dialogical sermon. And some Sundays I can't even break the communion bread. And, um, and just like being honest about that. And I think what I've found is in my willingness to be more honest with myself and with my congregation, um, it's created space for the community to be more honest um, and real about what they're dealing with. So I think it's opened up space that I think everybody to a different extent feels like, right? Like we have to be better than we are and more okay than we are. And we aren't allowed to be broken, right? Or we're like allowed to be broken, but it needs to look a certain way. And um, I think in being a pastor while being sick, it's sort of like, no, 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 no. Like actually our brokenness is the place from which we, like that's like the place in which we begin. Like that's what we're, that's where we're coming from. Um, and what a like hard but beautiful space that is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, so uh, cause I know we've got about five minutes before you get to go for an infusion. Yeah, yeah. Yay. Um, gotta love the Ivy. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm curious, uh, you know, because you, you do, it sounds like you have such a, a wonderful congregation where you feel, um, you know, comfortable or mm-hmm. comfortable in that vulnerability. What advice would you have for pastors who might be listening, who are hiding some of uh, the things that you're vulnerable enough to share? Like it might be a disease, uh, but maybe also some of the heavy questions or doubts or worries that, that your disease has, has brought up. Yeah. Um, well, I think find a really good therapist. Like, um, and I kind of fought that for a while. I've been to therapy before, but then my husband was like, no, no, I'm calling a therapist. Like you have to go. (laughs) Um, but I would say, I think that I'm fortunate that I felt seen and supported, especially initially by our, um, staff team, by my staff team, the other ministers at Emmaus Way. And... Um, and not all of them in the same way, but like two in particular and then the others. Um, and that was key. So just being able to like have people that you're working with in which you can confide. Um, I would say like find whoever that is or um, within your context of who, who is it that you know you can call and confide in and sort of troubleshoot of what things might look like. Um, that was really huge for me 
Um, and I would say too, and I know this is complicated because like jobs and needing money to pay bills and the way in which our entire world is rooted around the market. But we, if kind of asking yourself, why are you afraid to like be honest and vulnerable? Like what is it that's like keeping you captive to this silence or feeling like you can't um, share? Um, And I think part of being sick is um, learning. I have more fear now, I would say, since I've been sick. And I'm scared more um, because I think the illusion of control is completely gone. But I also think, especially in being a pastor on on church staff, you just kind of have to step into some fearlessness of like, it's going to, I don't, I don't know what is going to happen when I share this, but I know that I can't not share it. Right. Mm. Like, because the way that I'm living right now is not life giving and it's not <laughs> making me feel more whole. And so sort of stepping. Yeah. Just like mm. having, figuring out who are your people that you need beside you mm. to make that step and then just doing it. Um, you know what it sounds like? What? Sounds like, sounds like faith. Well, yeah, I think some people might call it it. being strong, being strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. How, how often do we hear that? I think there's some scripture about that. There might be somewhere. Um, I think I, no, maybe it was Joel Osteen who said it. I I don't know. I can't remember. Um, (laughs) So uh, I close every episode uh, because this is, you know, a ministry podcast. Mm-hmm. We have to have an invitation. Um, but on the Naked Preacher podcast, it's the skin invitation. So I know you've got to go. So I'm going to ask you three rapid fire questions okay. that invite you to, to vulnerability. And you can just you can give me one word answers. One okay. one. You can go as long as you want. But I know you got to, to be infused. So um, first question is, uh, what is one mistake you've made in ministry? Mm. thinking oh that's hard um yeah I think my uh thinking that I could do do thinking that I could do more than I really should thinking that I needed to do more than yeah sounds like thinking of the world rested on my shoulders right if I don't Mm. do this then x is going to crumble if I don't yeah. Right. I guess yeah. all that is saying, like thinking that we're God, perhaps mm. <laughs> we can think that we are so God. Yeah, man, you're you're right on. I, I, that's something we all struggle with, I believe. Um, okay, great answer. Second question: What's one of your fears in ministry? Yeah, failure. Sounds yeah. sounds like a good one for an Enneagram three. Uh, yeah, so I, can, I, I can relate. Um, maybe that's why I like you so much. It's like a mirror image of myself <laughs> without the lupus, but who knows? I'm like, yeah. One day. Um, and last question, what's one thing you completely rock in ministry? One thing you're awesome at. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, hmm. I think I love people well. And I think that since getting sick, um, 
my love for um, people has only grown. Awesome. Well, Molly, a great lover of people and a heck of a minister. I thank you so much uh, for being here and sharing your story with us, being a good steward of it. Thanks for having me, Paul. You got it. Uh, Talk to you soon. Yeah, I got to go get hooked up to an IV. Blessings on your infusion. Bye. Bye. Our brokenness is the place from which we begin. That's where we're coming from. Well said, preacher Molly. Just one of the many little sermon-worthy observations she shared in that conversation. I hope you got as much from it as I did. And don't forget, this is a special week for the podcast. On Wednesday, I'll be releasing a special bonus episode where I speak with another minister who's dealt with chronic illness. His name is Jason McKelly, a young pastor in the D.C. area who received a life-threatening cancer diagnosis early in his ministry. He's joining me along with a few of his friends, to talk about how a journey through serious illness put him in a vulnerable place before his congregation. I hope you'll join me for that conversation. Till then, might you serve one another, like Molly and Jason, from out of your own brokenness, sharing with those God gives you nothing more but nothing less than the vulnerable person you are. Peace be with y'all.